What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 77 of Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, is we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. You know, we always need great leaders. We really need great leaders when times are uncertain. And boy, we live in some uncertain times, don't we? There's more questions than there are answers. There's more doubts than there are things we know we can take to the bank. And during those seasons, we need what Henry and Richard Blackaby said in their book, Spiritual Leadership. We need spiritual statesmen, those people that when they speak, you know you can take it to the bank. Well, today's guest is just that kind of person. I have literally known him almost my entire life. I met him when I was around 12 years old, when I began attending his church in Fayetteville, Georgia. Little did I realize that this gentleman was going to go on to become one of those people in life that you can't unwrap your life from their life. He not only became my pastor when I was 12, he became a mentor to me early in my ministry, and then he became my pastor Uh, at North Star for that season from 1997 to 2003 as I got to work side by side with Iker Eichard to help begin North Star, and I learned so much. What is Ike good at? I don't know. What's he doing? Writing books? Yeah, he's really good at that. Treasures from the Dark, his books, Discovering Your North Star, Discovering Your North North Star Journal, He also co-authored a daily devotional book with Zig Ziglar, Daily Insights, incredible. Is he a great pastor? Oh, yeah. His church, New Hope, became the second fastest growing church in the Southern Baptist Convention under his leadership. While at North Star, North Star grew so fast. Why? Because of his vision and because of his passion He went on from North Star to become the chief people officer of Home Bank Mortgage Company in Atlanta and was recognized four consecutive years as one of Fortune Magazine's best companies to work for where he was the chief people officer. Now Ike pastors the great Piedmont Church over in Marietta. He also is the president and CEO of Must Ministries, one of the largest nonprofits uh, outside the perimeter. What does he get out? Well, whatever he's doing, great dad to his two beautiful girls, Danielle and Abigail, amazing husband to his wife, Robin, incredible grandfather to his granddaughter, Addison Ruth. What is he to me? He's a hero. He's one of those people that I am so thankful God connected my life with. I talk about him all the time. You hear his name mentioned often around North Star and even on this podcast. Well, today, you get to sit in on a very fun conversation. So I don't know what you got to write on. I don't know what you got to write with. I want you to pull up a chair, and I want you to listen in and take some good notes from one of the great ones. 
Mr. Ike Reichert. Can't wait for you to listen in. Well, Ike, it is such an honor to sit down with you today. This is one I have looked forward to since this started. You just want to watch me eat lunch today, Lance. <laughs> That's what you want to do because it is an amazing thing to witness. Well, you know, I mean, there, there's definitely some uh, ulterior motives, <laughs> ulterior motives to all this. You know, there's very few guys. We have guys in the business industry. You have guys in the pastorate. But very few guys have done what you've done. You have pastored great churches. You have worked in the business segment, and now you lead a large nonprofit. Did you ever in your wildest dreams growing up ever think that would be something you would do? Never in a million years. You know, my mom and dad both had a fifth grade education, and I grew up in inner city Atlanta. And the thought of ever standing before anyone speaking or or doing a job of any magnitude uh, really never crossed my mind. Uh, I was a high school senior. It was probably about the month of April, and I was called into the counselor's office, and that was a relief because I was usually called into the principal's <laughs> office. So I figured the counselor's got to be two or three steps below that, so it won't be bad. And uh, I walked into the office, and um, he sat me down, and he said, uh, what are you going to do when you graduate from high school? And I had a, a quick response. I said, I'm going to go to work in the rock quarry. And he said, what do you mean you're going to go to work in the rock quarry? And I said, well, my dad works in the rock quarry. My brother works in the rock quarry. One of my brother-in-laws works in the rock quarry. I've got two uncles there. I've got cousins galore. And that's what we do in our families. We work in mines or we work in rock quarries. And that's what I thought that I would be doing. The thought uh, that I would ever go to college had never entered my mind because I'd never seen anyone in my family go Mm -hmm. to college. And so uh, my limits uh, were kind of self-imposed there of what my life was going to be like. So to think that I've uh, had the privilege of getting to do what I get to do, uh, no, that, that was not something that was on my radar. What was, what was the change? What was the change that happened for you when you began to see, I can do more than I thought I could? There's more in there. Well, it you know, it, it came down to accepting Jesus Christ, my personal mm-hmm. Lord and Savior. A wonderful guy named John Yarbrough uh, was a student pastor in a church, and I went to the church because the girl that I wanted to date was in that church, and her parents said that if uh, I would come to church on Sunday nights, we could go out after church. And so uh, low motivation is better than no motivation. And so it's all about the girl, right? And so I started going to church, and on Sunday nights, they would let the youth minister preach, you know, kind of like when the pastor's on vacation, the youth minister gets a shot, right? And so Sunday night, uh, John would speak, and on one particular Sunday night, uh, he just said, um, hey, we've got a retreat coming up this next weekend. I was working as a disc jockey at that time at a very low-powered station, and he said, uh, the guy who was going to do our recreation is not going to be able to go. And he said, uh, if anybody could help us with recreation and go and be a counselor, I would appreciate it. 
And so um, I looked at the girl and I said, you know, I could go do that because I was playing on a lot of different softball teams and flag football teams and things of that nature, still trying not to grow up. And uh, so I went down and I volunteered and I had no idea that volunteering that day, mm. that evening was going to change my life because it was on that retreat that I ended up making my profession of faith uh, in the Lord. And then about a year later, uh, was when I felt the call to ministry, mm. and I read a book by Zig Ziglar, and that book was called See You at the Top. And in that book, it challenged me to write goals, and my first goal was to be able to go to college and to pursue the calling that I felt that God had placed on my life. And uh, never would have dreamed 20 years later that Zig would do a sequel called Over the Top, and in that book, he outlines my life. And you know, Mike, uh, I would, I've spoke about this at church recently. I, uh, the way that he quoted and, and spoke about me is he said, Ike Reichard was a wandering generality. <laughs> and, and because of Jesus, he became a meaningful mm. specific. Mm. In other words, I found my purpose. I, I went from just wandering and, and trying to figure out what is it that, you know, once I came to know God, then what is it that he wants me to do? How, how do I get on the track to become a maturing believer in Christ? And so uh, that was my story. And uh, that was the change. That was the transformation. And then going to Mercer University and having a dean there, Gene Hendricks, who believed in me greatly when there was absolutely no reason to do so. Uh, there certainly wasn't a track record to look at. There were no academic accomplishments whatsoever. If you look at my high school annual, our high school started in eighth grade and went to the 12th. Uh, my annual simply says he entered and he left. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no accomplishment in between. And a C&D student, uh, basically all of that time. Time. But again, well, why would you need to be an A and B student if you're going to go to work in the rock? That's corner? right. That's right. What was it she saw? When you think back on it now and you get that perspective of an adult looking back at a college student who hasn't accomplished, what was it inside you you think she saw? I think sympathy. <laughs> 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 you know, uh, the way that we met uh, was so remarkable because I had gone out to the school because I had heard, I I'd tried to get in Mercer twice and I had been turned down. And I heard on the radio that uh, college enrollment was down and that there were students that were getting into college that never would have qualified before. And I thought, ooh, that sounds a lot like wow. me. Wow. And so I got my money in hand and I drove to Mercy University in Atlanta and I waited in the line and I finally got up there and the registrar had on his little name badge and it said Randy. And I waited in line and, uh, I, and I said, uh, Randy, I, I'd like to get enrolled uh, in a class if I could. Good. And when I was barely 17, I uh, attempted college at 17 years old, Kennesaw Junior College, mm. and it flunked out within a year. And some people try to make me feel better. And they say, well, you probably weren't trying. Yes, I was. <laughs> I was trying as hard as I could. Uh, it's just I was not equipped for it yeah. because I had never thought That's right. that was in my plan. That's right. And so uh, my 
records were terrible uh, from that year at Kennesaw Junior College. And so I told Randy, the registrar, I wanted to get registered. And he said, well, let me go get your transcripts. And I said, no, Randy, let's not do that. Let's just you and I work on this mono on mono right yep. here. And he said, well, I have to go get your transcripts. And when he came back, I'll never forget it as long as I live. Um, he had this long legal document, the transcripts. And he's looking up and down it, and he goes, let, let me make sure that I've got this right. You went to college for a year, and you only passed two hours of PE? And I said, yeah, Randy, you got the right transcript, unfortunately. And uh, Randy folded that thing up, and uh, he uh, looked at me, and he said, you're never going to get into this college. Um, you'll have to go somewhere You'll have to, you know, do some grades mm-hmm. at some other place. And, and he didn't bother to suggest where to go. There were all these people that were surrounding the desk that day. And have you ever been desperate to change something in your life mm. and you just can't get it done? That was me on that day because i become a believer. I had accepted God's call into the ministry. The church that I was attending was even creating a part-time position for me where I could go to college and I could be the janitor and the youth director. And I knew all of those people were, were counting on me. By now, you know, I'm married and I'm wanting that change in my life that so many people are desperate to have. And I'm being told um, again for the third time, you're not getting into the school. And you know, Mike, I'm, I'm walking down the hall and I'm, I'm just devastated. And because what am I going to tell my wife? What am I going to tell those people at church? You know, that's creating this mm-hmm. position to, to help me out so that I can go to school. And I go down the staircase and as I get in the staircase, there's a landing area and there's also stairs coming up from the basement floor area. And as I walk down the steps and I hit that landing, there's a lady walking up the steps in the basement and she hits the landing. And for just this brief moment, we're facing each other. And she looks at me and says, are you okay? And I said, "Um, no, I'm not. Normally, you know me as well as anybody. I go, I'm doing great and and I, I would have been gone. But that day, I guess I was just, I mean, I was heartbroken and I said, no, I'm not. She said, may I ask you why? Mm. And I said, because I want to go to school here, but they won't let me. And she said, can I ask you who they are? And I said, well, we'll start with Randy. I threw yeah. him under the bus <laughs> in a heartbeat. Sorry, Randy. Never wear a name tag, you know, with somebody like me. And so, um, uh, and I told her, you know, what had just happened. She said, have you got a moment? And I said, sure. And she took me back up a set of stairs. She sat down and then she did something. And that that's why uh, Lynch with a Leader works because we sat there And she asked me to do something that no one else to this point in my life had ever asked me to do. And when I say what it is, some of your listeners are probably going to go, really? Because what she asked me to do is she said, tell me your story. Mm, mm. No one had ever asked me that. Wow. Just tell me your story. And so I started telling her. I told her about my mom and dad's limited education. I told her about where I grew up. I told her about, you know, the C's and the D's and then trying to go to college and then flunking out. And she looked at me and, um, uh, and by the way, I had no idea that this person I was talking to was the dean of the college. Mm. No earthly idea. It's my first time to ever physically be on that campus. 
And God had arranged wow. for me to meet her in the stairwell. Mm. And I've had people say, what a coincidence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, coincidence is when God chooses to remain anonymous mm-hmm. and he just mm-hmm. works things out. And so I had managed to meet and didn't know it till she said, you got a few more minutes. And I went, of course. And she took me down the hall and we walked through this open casing thing and it said administration. And I thought, oh, we're going to get Randy in trouble. <laughs> and so we walked down to the door marked Dean. And when she walked through it without knocking, I went, oh, my goodness. And she sat down behind her desk and she said, well, you probably figured out I'm one of they that wouldn't let you into the school, she said, but I'm going to make an exception. She used the term. She said, I'm going to be your patron. I'd never heard the term wow. patron. And um, she, and I said, what does that mean? <laughs> she said, you're going to get into the school on my name, not your name. And I went, that would work a lot better than what I just experienced at the hall. Let's go with yes. that. And uh, and she told me several. She said, um, "So here's the, your requirements. Uh, number one, um, whenever you get your grades, I want to be the next set of eyes to see them." And I said, "Okay." She said, "Number two, uh, she said I want to see you every week." Now imagine this is a dean of a college. I want to see your face every week. You can catch me after convo. You can catch me in the hallway. You can make an appointment because I'm going to introduce you out here to my executive assistant. And she will make a a point to get you in to see me. And she said, then the third thing is uh, you're going to come in on academic probation. And I said, now, what does that mean? She said, well, academic probation be like if you made bad grades for a couple of quarters, then we would put you on academic mm-hmm. probation to tighten things up. And I said, well, with all due respect, I think I can get on academic probation on my own. <laughs> so why don't you give me a little longer runway here? And she said, no. She said, uh, she said uh, uh, you, you can do this. And, it, and then she self-corrected. And she said, no, you, you will do this. She said, you, you will do this. I, I graduated from Mercer in two years and one quarter. I graduated magna cum laude. I would have settled for laude have mercy, but magna cum laude was cool. And then went on and did the masters and then went on and did a doctorate. And then I've been blessed with a couple of honorary doctorates. Education changed the trajectory of my life. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love to see kids go to school. I don't think everyone's meant to go to college. That's right. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of different ways that you can grow. But for me, education has become that way for me. Mm. And I'm constantly learning something new. Mm. It's something that it just drives me. I, I you know, I want to learn more about different things. You know, yesterday we, we had a little holiday, and so I had some free time. And uh, my youngest daughter, Abigail, uh, for a Christmas present, bought me something called Masterclass. Mm. And Masterclass is amazing. Uh, so yesterday, my favorite uh, historian on the planet is Doris Kearns Goodwin. And so I went through her 10-part series yesterday on how do presidents lead? How do they handle a crisis? Mm. How do they work through and get a team on board? Uh, all of these different things, because she is the presidential historian. Yep. Uh, and then I watched Bob Iger talk about Disney. And how Disney does what they do so extraordinarily well and be in the happiest place on earth. And so I'm getting to learn from these amazing people. And there's like 70-something people that have done these videos that are amazingly well shot. 
Uh, and the fun part of it is, is that my daughter and I have had, my youngest, we've had this thing that we've done for years. We'll buy two books at Christmas. I'll buy two copies of the same book. She'll buy two copies of the same book. Then we exchange them and we read them. And then we find, what did you see? How about that? You know, she's a lot younger. What did, yep. what did you see? And what did you see through the eyes of a female that I may have totally missed as a male? And now we're going to do the same on this masterclass series about what do you learn? So I'm not hawking masterclass. I love that. Though. But it's one of the coolest things that I've done. Um, you know, you can download the lesson plan. You've got the quotes. You've got all the different things. The clips are about 10 to 12 minutes long. Uh, each one of them, there may be 10 to 15, you know, mm-hmm. that are in a package. Mm-hmm. But whether you're wanting to learn magic from pen and teller or you're wanting to learn uh, how to have proper timing as a speaker from mm-hmm. Steve Martin, wow. uh, it's a, an amazing cast of people. Or if you want to learn cooking uh, or any that. other number of things, you know. You know, I've never smart. thought about it, though, I because one of my things, it was one of the things I've gotten down here today. One of the things that separates you is is your capacity to learn and your yearning to learn. And I've never thought about tracing it back to education being something you had to go. It wasn't something that you just walked into because you had an affluent family who everybody had gone to college and you just yeah. did it to get your degree. You had to chase it. You had to, you had a burden Absolutely. for it. Do you think Ike, that, that some of your, and I think one, you're an incredible learner. I think one of the other traits that separates you, you have an amazing ability to believe in people and see things in them. Do you think some of that goes back to Absolutely. somebody seeing something in you? No question about it. When people come to me and they're saying, I'm trying to discover my purpose in life. I'm trying to discover why I'm on this planet. And I'm sitting with them. I, I always ask this question. I'll go, tell me who your three biggest heroes are in your life and why. Mm-hmm. And don't make it your mom or dad. Uh, just like for you, I've known you uh, since literally you were a child. I know the kind of parents you grew up with, and you were so blessed yeah. to grow up with parents who were always prodding you to be your yep. very best. And yep. so, you know, you 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 grew up with that, and that's that's a wonderful gift that you've been given. But if you had to take your parents out of the mix, who are those three biggest heroes. And last night I have a buddy that uh, lives out in Oklahoma and um, and he and I grew close when he, he was going through some things and uh, and we're just we're, we're long distance buddies. but he sent me um, a text last night. He had listened to the podcast and he said, uh, you're one of my three mm. and mm. that was so humbling mm. because for me, at the top of that list would be Zig Ziglar. Yep. And and the reason I tell people who if you're trying to find God's purpose for your life, why would I tell them to look at their three biggest heroes? Because your heroes bring out your highest and your best. That's right. They're your heroes for a reason. It's touching a part of you deep inside mm. and it calls you to something. And when you you feel that sense of calling, so Zig Ziglar Dr. Gene Hendricks was that person. And another person that just really challenged me uh, in my life 
um, John Maxwell. Mm. And, and then I can go to other people who do those kinds of things. Um, if I was watching as a pastor, if I was watching for somebody that really has a great family and has done it right, I'd look at you mm. because I've watched the kind of dad that you are, uh, the kind of uh, husband that you are, and you are so committed to your family. Uh, they, they are a priority to you and you love what you do in church and you're a fantastic pastor and preacher. You've got a great combination there, but it starts with your love for God and it starts with your love for your family. And I think that came out of your family mm -hmm. and the way that you were raised because you and your two other siblings, you know, y'all are close and y'all have that bond and you could you could see it and you could sense it mm -hmm. in your family. And so you you've got that great gift. And one of the things I've watched you do is invest in the lives of people and in their marriages. And you've made a tremendous difference. So you're a hero to me mm -hmm. when I look at how do you do marriage? One of your former guests, Pat Flood, mm -hmm. is a hero to me when I think about watching someone do the right thing. Mm -hmm when it was the hardest thing in the world to do. And I watched Pat Flood do that as we were getting ready to go and to Wall Street and become a publicly traded company. And at five o'clock before the IPO goes out the next morning, at five o'clock in the afternoon, a courier brings a package to our legal counsel and our legal counsel gets that package and he looks inside of it and it's a class action lawsuit that's being brought by mortgage people from around the country. And so all of a sudden you're set up for your IPO the next morning. And here's this package that's curried in at five o'clock. And so the legal counsel walks in with it and I'm sitting with Pat and the legal counsel says, now, you know, I, I can just, it's after hours and you know, we can just go on and, and then yep. make this a reveal. Pat said, when did you get it? He said, I got it at 5 o'clock. When did you show it to me? I'm showing it to you right now. Then you need to get your team together. And they had to pull an all-nighter to make that as a part of the Golly. discovery. When it would have easily, yep. you could have so easily just ignored it. Yep. Well, he showed me what the leaders do when the pressure is on. Mm. Mm. What leaders do is the right thing. That's right. And if you do the right thing, you won't have to be explaining yourself all the time and you won't have to be looking over your shoulder. Mm. I just think of all of those people that, from their perspective, Zig taught me the value of family. Mm. Um, you know, he told me one time, Mike, he said, um, the longer that the redhead and I are married, the more beautiful she becomes. And he, and he said, and let me tell you why. And he shared a deep, intimate moment with me, and he said, um, God revealed to my heart that every day I get more like him and I get more like Jesus, my wife is going to get more beautiful to me. Mm. Ooh, buddy. Yeah. Son. Yes, sir. Uh, so that was one of those lessons and every time I'm getting a little bit irritable with my wife, I'll go, okay, where am I not being as much like Jesus as I mm. need to be right mm. now? Mm. You know, what, what I need to up my game. Uh, John Maxwell showed me uh, what leadership can do. 
And I've known John since Zig and I introduced us. And John was literally running tapes uh, in his garage in those days. Mm. And uh, you heard him as a very young guy there at New Hope days. That's right. So those people, and again, different people for different things. But look for the the hero. Yep. You know, Joseph Campbell has a book, a Hero Has a Thousand Faces. Mm. There's a thousand different heroes in my life in different ways. But when you're trying to narrow down and go, what do I do in my life? Who are those three people yep. that impact you the most that are heroes? What was it they did that's drawing the best out of you? And and then go with that. God, so good. I that is so good. And you and you know, and I'll get into it a little bit more later. But you are you were that hero to so many because you believed in them when nobody else did. And that's just one it's of because Gene Hendricks believed in me. And and, and but the beautiful else. part of it, it's so easy for you to just take that in and not pass that on. You could have kept that as wow, God really opened a door for me. And now I'm going to make sure I gets taken care of. And you've spent your life, and I can say this because I've had a front row seat, you spent your life making sure others, somebody does that for them. You don't ever want somebody to not have somebody who sees that in them. And I, I even go back to Fayetteville where our lives intersected. You know, I live half mile from New Hope. New Hope was a country church you become the youth pastor then the pastor great pastor leaves to go leaves to go start a new ministry and and new endeavor and you become the pastor of new hope and new hope explodes but while you were there you walked through some time i think every leader walks through tough times and you walk through What's the worst thing that could happen to anyone? You mind sharing a little bit of that journey that you walked through at New Hope? Yeah, thank you. Um, Yeah, I lost a wife and a child during that time. And that girl that influenced me to start going to church on those Sunday nights was a girl I ended up marrying. Uh, To this day, her father is still the most godly man I think I've ever met (laughs) in my life. And um, his name's Henry Mitchell. And... Henry and I stay close, and um, and we we talk all the time. And he calls just to check on me, and you know, make sure I'm doing all right. And he keeps telling me I can't die because I have to do his funeral. <laughs> and uh, but um, Henry uh, led his daughter to Christ. Mm. Uh, they'd gone to church on uh, d- during a revival. Remember those? Oh, yeah. And uh, when they were driving home, her mother helped run the nursery, and she had her sister with her, and Henry was in his car, and. They were driving home, and he said, Cindy, you wanted to go down front this morning, didn't you? And she said, or tonight, and she said, yes, sir. And he said, I'll tell you what, when your mom and your sister get home, we'll take care of that. And they knelt in their den, and uh, she accepted Christ into her life. And uh, she never doubted her salvation. She was just amazing. And so she was that spiritual influence when I had no earthly idea of what the Bible said. And you've heard me tell the story the first time I I preached on the Beatitudes, I called them the bow tides. And (laughs) I mean, it looked like bow tides to me, B-E-A-U. But, um, you you know, uh, I look back and and I marvel that they let me stick around. But uh, she was that influence. And and then we uh, had not been able to get pregnant. And we were going on our 11th year of marriage, mm. and then just miraculously, uh, she gets pregnant because we got to afford fertility and all yeah. that kind of stuff. 
and uh, she just miraculously uh, becomes pregnant. Has a great pregnancy, everything is fine, um, but during uh, the childbirth at Piedmont Hospital in Atlanta, she suffered something extraordinarily rare called an amniotic embolism, and that's uh, like a blood clot, an air bubble that goes to the heart, and uh, in a matter of minutes, uh, I lost her and mm. I lost the child, and that was uh, that was a devastating time, and it was the time in my life that I can honestly say I literally felt prayers of people. Mm, mm. I felt people praying and holding me up during that time. And, um, you know, I can remember having read um, a quote by A.W. Tozier, and he said, I've never seen God use someone greatly that he hasn't broken deeply. And I can remember being afraid of that statement. And thinking, oh, God, I, I hope I'm the exception on this one right here. But that was it for me. And it, and it broke a lot of different things in me. Um, I have been such a driver before, mm. just driven, 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 demanding, demanding from everybody else around me. You know, during those days that you were a kid, we were the, we were the second fastest mm. growing church in America, which was pretty amazing to think about. And... It's because we had such a work ethic, and and I had that work ethic because for the first time in my life, I found something that I was good at. Mm. And, you know, again, I'm the person in the high school annual. You never find their picture anywhere except the class picture. Uh, I wasn't a good athlete. Coaches all said I had a lot of heart. And, you know, <laughs> as a coach, you know what that means. Don't give him the ball in a tight situation. That's, that's that. And so here I am in my now my mid-20s, and I had finally found mm. what God had put me on this earth to do. It's, it's the craziest thing. When I'm on that stage, I'm never more at home. Mm. Mm. That's where I'm supposed to be. And I'm supposed, but if I had to go on that stage and entertain people, I'd be petrified. Yep. If I had to try to go and be funny, I couldn't do it in a million years. But when I'm standing there and I'm holding my Bible, I'm as secure mm. in that environment as anything. But put me in a group of 20 or 25 and I freak out. Mm. But you put me in that position of what God put me on this earth to be able to do. And, 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 you know, it, it's something. So, you know, I heard Jerry Seinfeld say one time that, you know, that fear of speaking is the number one fear in people's life, the fear of public speaking. Number two was death. Yep. So he said, here's what that means, that if that person went to a funeral, they would rather be in that casket <laughs> than doing the eulogy. <laughs> so, uh, that's so good for everybody that is so good but that was my world and mm. um and she was my partner and mm. she was she led so many people to christ including you That's right. which sure is did. doggone amazing mm. and if cindy has a downline in heaven after how god's used mm. you she's gonna mm. do real mm. good mm. and she'd be so proud of you but uh, losing her and losing the child was tough uh, i'll be Forever indebted to a staff member named Rodney Shell who came and lived with me. And uh, not literally, you know, was on our staff, was single, and came, moved in, and stayed with me 
until I remarried. Mm. And I will always be grateful to him uh, because it was a lonesome place to mm. be. Mm. Uh, you know, everybody's got what they want to be when they grow up. Uh, you know, what, what, what do you want to do? And I heard uh, someone say one time, the reason people are always asking little kids what they want to be when they grow up is because they're looking for <laughs> ideas for themselves. <laughs> Ooh, fireman, I haven't tried that one yet. Maybe, maybe that's the route to go. But um, all I ever wanted to be was a dad. Yeah. And I think it's because of my dad. Yeah. Um, you know, that I'd watch him come in from work. I'd watch him get up and go to work. And first thing that he would do when he got ready is he'd come knock on my door and he'd say, Hey, Ike, it's time to get out. I never had to worry about my father being there. Never had to worry about it for one moment. My mm -hmm. dad was going to be there. My dad was a big, buff, strong guy from working in that rock quarry. And there was a sense of security. Mm -hmm. Um, I never saw my dad and my mom have an argument, which is crazy to yeah. me that in all of those years, never saw them have an argument. They just, that's a decision that they made and the way they were going to raise their children. And so, uh, for me, there's four of us in my family. That was just such a blessing to grow up around that. So I had that, that kind of security mm -hmm. and, um, and Cindy provided that spiritual security and one of the hardest things in losing her was in so many ways she was my spiritual guide. Yeah. When I when I wanted to know where a verse was located, yeah. <laughs> man, she did those sword drills as a kid. <laughs> she she just, I mean, she'd whip those verses out and just pop them. And I can remember being in my house and uh and I was there by myself and it was a Saturday. And I always sink into my message on a Saturday mm -hmm. evening. I, I don't like to go out. I rather be yeah. at home on, on Saturday evenings. And um, I was sitting at my desk and I was trying to remember a verse and I, and I yelled out mm. instinctively, Hey, Cindy, where's, Oh, and I thought, Sorry, she's <laughs> Siri just just answered for us there. Sorry, Siri, we were talking about Cindy. You you can go off now. Is that not amazing? That's funny. Maybe if we'd had Siri in those days, it I wouldn't have I, helped. I wouldn't have been quite as lost and everything. But um, Cindy would always have those answers mm. for me, and uh, and that was it was like this lonesomeness mm. just gripped my heart that. She's not going to have those answers for me anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so because we were a partnership, as yeah, you, you know, were. Yeah, you were, we, uh, uh, as a husband and a wife, we had everything in our house. We, you know, Monday night football was a big yeah. deal back in those days. We would go to the local dry cleaner and we get those huge bags that you put your dry cleaning in. And we would pop popcorn all day and fill up those bags. And the kids would come over to our house and we'd watch the ball game. And then the biggest room in the house, ironically, was a bedroom. And we would go into our bedroom and I would sit up in the middle of the bed and all these teenagers would be sitting on the floor and on the bed. And I would do a Bible study at halftime. And, uh, and Cindy was just that person that yeah. made that happen. So... The highs and the lows, the way a church loves you, mm. the way a church takes care of you, that church will always be uh, a centerpiece in my soul because they gave me the opportunity. 
they believed in they me. They sure did. You know, the church that let me be a janitor believed That's in right. me. That's right. I didn't know nothing about being a That's janitor. That's exactly right. My son, I got so I could clean a toilet bowl with the best of them. It's all in the wrist, Mike. It's all <laughs> in the wrist, I promise you. But uh, so it's it's been a neat journey. What, what changed about you as a leader? You, that happens, and it, and, it, and it literally rocked our community, rocked the church. Rocked, it was such a, it was such a okay. small town back then. What changed about you as a leader? Who are you? How are you different today than you may would have been if that hadn't happened? It's a great question. I think number one is I said never, ever will I allow my staff not to be engaged with their families. Um, that's why, you know, we've always taken Fridays off because mm. I want my staff to be able to have a Friday and a Saturday because they're going to be working on Sunday. And I want them, if they want to get in the car and drive up to Gatlinburg and hear Kanye, uh, to be able to, <laughs> to be able to do that. You know, um, I want them, you know, to, to be able to have family. So one of the things it did for me because of that loss because I can't tell you, and, and you remember, I lived in a past storm. Yep. And uh, the past storm is on top of a hill. And down at the bottom of the hill was where my office was located. And I, and I could look from my office desk. I could look up the hill and I could look at my bedroom. It was on that side of the house. And I can't tell you how many nights I watched the light go off while I was still sitting in my office talking to someone Delta Airlines was big in our community. They operated seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You had a group getting off at 11 o'clock. They visited our church on Sunday. I'd say, hey, I'll be glad to visit with you when you get off work. Well, I don't get off work till 11. No problem. Just drop by the church. You mean you'd meet us at 11.45 at night? Absolutely. Not wise. And then when you're in that house by yourself and you go, why was I doing all this in the first place? So as a leader, it led me to much deeper self-reflection. Mm-hmm. And it led me to a promise that if God gave me a family again, I would never botch it. That's right. I'm not going to blow it. And I think my kids still love the ministry as much as yeah. I do. Um, and both of them, you know, are serving the Lord and, uh, Oldest daughter's raising her child in the right way. Um, she's got a little crush right now on a boy whose dad works on church staff. I went, that's good. Oh, uh, that's good nice. right there. So I gave her thumbs up on that one. You know, she's about to turn 12. Uh, but um, I, I've watched my family, and there's so many mm. pastors I see that their kids walk away from church. And they do. And they just go, not ever going to walk back in mm. there. Mm. I never wanted to be something on stage that I wasn't for real yep. at my house because I knew it would turn my kids off mm. to church. So that's why when I stand in the pulpit and you suffered through a lot of sermons with me, I tell the good and the bad of who I am. Mm-hmm. When I lose my temper, when I act like a complete fool, uh, which I turned into an art form several times, um, because I don't want people to think that I don't get angry or that I don't stub my toe or get upset about something or, or handle something yep. just so poorly that later on you look back and you go, now how in the world 
you think you're getting further in this journey and then you do yeah. something and you got that or you let something bother you that should have just rolled right off of you but but it didn't it does, and yeah. and then you find out well it's probably my pride talking right there and that's probably why that hurts so bad but it was becoming that different leader um it was becoming more compassionate about my staff mm. and loving on them and making sure and trying to do little things uh, along the way, whether it was, you know, to try to get the staff a, a bonus at Christmas or, or, you know, and it's still those kinds of things that I do today. So mm. it fundamentally changed the way that I approach Um you know, I love and I'm certified in the DISC yep. profile and have been for all these years. DISC pretty much stays the same in a person's life. And for those of you that do not know DISC, it's a, a profile that helps the determine the way that you look at life and the way that you respond to different stimuli in life. And it is extremely rare for a profile to ever change. But my profile changed wow. after Cindy's death. Wow. I went from being the driving domineering, it's called a high D on the disc, um, to becoming a high I mm. on the disc. My positions mm. switch places. And um, I like me a lot better as a broken person mm. than I did the person uh, that I was and uh, was becoming. And, um, you know, it's just made all the difference in the world. I think back to something Ravi said, and I think he's at the end of our podcast that day. And Ravi said, I never trust a man without a limp. Whew. And I think I look back at our journey now in the beginning of days of North star, and we'll get to this in a second, but those beginning days of North star, I remember how many times you walk in the office and said, it's time for you to go home. Don't make <laughs> the same mistake. You would have stayed there. Lynch. I would have stayed there. <laughs> And I'm a pleaser. And you're the first person there in the morning. Right. And, uh, but I but I attribute my kids loving church and my wife loving church to you making me go home. You you helped us create an environment at North Star that it was family friendly and it was mm. about your kids and you use that in our journey. And the, we the, all grew up together. We did. <laughs> and the great part was the Lord did bless you and he blessed you with an amazing wife, Robin, and you've got two incredible girls. And I've watched you live out everything you said, I'm going to do different. And I've gotten to watch you do it. And you have, Thank you. you've honored Cindy by how you've loved your girls and have loved them so well. And that, you know, you've said it, and I heard you say it most. I don't know who you stole it from, but it was really good. You said, you know, success is when those who know you best love you most. And I, think, right. I think for you, so many of those people that know you best truly do feel that way about you. It, it's it's crazy. Well, it's you're crazy. kind. Can you, can you imagine being someone that grows up around someone and the public thinks they're one thing? I can't imagine. And then you know what they are. I know. And you'll hear them brag on your father or your grandfather, and they'll talk about what a great person they are. And yet the person that you see is not that. Yep. And the hypocrisy of that and what it drives through, that's why being your true, authentic self. And, and be be that, be that right person. Um, I can remember when Cindy died, I was in downtown Atlanta. It was a Friday afternoon. And I can remember looking at all these couples that were coming out of these buildings, and they were doing a concert in the park at Woodruff. And um, 
And I can remember standing there and there were several thoughts that went through my mind that became keys for me, the, the, the rest of that journey. And, and one of them was, I need to be living my life right now the way I want to tell the story later mm. and not have to change a thing. You know, if, and when people are going through a crisis, that's the advice that I give them now, you know, com- coming out of my own life of do and live right now the way you're going to tell this story later and you want to be able to encourage people, do it and live it right now so you don't have to embellish it. Uh, you don't have to make it bigger than it was or more grandiose, but you just tell the truth about what you went through and and you'll become an encouragement because everybody is going to go through things. That's right. I, I, That's right. I mean, in this world, Jesus said, you're, you're going to have tribulation. It, it's going to happen. But what I found, Mike, is that when... Christian leaders in particular, and everyone really when it comes to their Christianity, if you handle trouble rightly, it honors God. That's right. That's good, boy. And um, just handle your trouble because there's going to be trouble. Um, There's going to be trouble for the CEO. Uh, There's going to be the crisis. When I was listening to Doris Kearns Goodwin uh, yesterday, she was talking about the best time to prepare for a crisis is when there's not one that you, because then all you're doing is you're reacting and that you should run scenarios of, of, of wow. what will happen wow. uh, and what could happen in your future. What, what would we do if this occurred or that occurred? And, and it was, there was just a lot of wisdom. And then, the times that you're maybe going to do something that's never been done before. Mm-hmm. And and she gives all these examples, and that's what makes oh, it so but fascinating. That's so good. I bet that is yeah. so good. Yeah, I could I could sink right down and, you know, just stay in a nice leather chair yeah. for a while with the fireplace on and just keep learning because um, that's what fascinates me. Yeah. Benjamin Franklin's one of my heroes because uh, when he died in his 90s, and, uh, and he died during the night, and they were going to remove him from his bed, they looked, and he had a book underneath his pillow. And, of course, that book was dog-eared and everything else. And there he was. He was still learning right up to the end. Wow. I think that's probably why he invented bifocals. Was wow. because of his love of reading and doing the things that he was doing. And his eyesight was growing a little more dim. And uh, he still wanted to be able to study. I did not but, know that. Yeah, I just, I love people who keep learning because, yep. you know, our mutual friend, uh, Ira Blumenthal, uh, said to me one day, he said, Ike, uh, real power is not in the hands of the learned. It's in the hands of the learning. Mm. The people that are continuing to learn. People go, I know that I don't know it all. Yep. And uh, you've heard that saying, uh, if you're the smartest person in the room, you need to go to a new room. Yep. I've never had to change rooms <laughs> in all these years. I have. I have said it. You've my, always felt safe. Yeah. I'm, I'm right with there, you, man. I'm there. Oh, and a series so of people who have come through the room, and they're all smarter than I am, and I love to surround myself with them. Mm. I, I love to sit 
when my staff, now that my staff, you know, we were laughing and uh, our youngest staff member that was on stage recently, one of our musicians, and uh, I went, oh my goodness, I am four times his age right now. <laughs> and I'm like, man, oh man. Uh, and he's, he's only three, but uh, and, and then I'd be all right. But uh, I love to learn That's so from good. them. I love to sit there and and see people's viewpoints yeah. on things and, and to see how much our world has changed. Uh, um, it is, uh, it's incredible to me. And how do you continue as a pastor to minister to people in that changing environment? That's right. That's and, right. and the only, only way you can do it is if you're growing. That's right. If you're not growing, if you're not expanding, if you're not finding new points to view from rather than always just trying to get somebody to your viewpoint, that's right. you're going to be in trouble. And so that, that learning part, oh, man. And that's that it. servant mindset, though. That's that, that's that servanthood mindset of this isn't for me. This is for others. So I've got I've to continue to grow. And what's right. been so cool about you, Ike, is I watched you watch New Hope grow from a little country church to a, to a thriving growing mega church on the south side in literally the middle of nowhere. Literally the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Half a mile from your oh, house. Baby. And listen, it caused a lot of traffic problems on Hickory. That's why we started going to church and my dad's like, I'm tired of fighting it. I'm just gonna go up and see what's going on up there. That's great. And then and then I watched you go and and come to North Star, plan a church that that jumped and just came shooting out of the womb. And I've watched you turn around a church. And I think, this is for Mike, the greatest work you've done is what you've done at Piedmont. You you walked into a place, North Star, we got to create the culture. And it was so much fun. And it was so much fun. because you know what you're leaving out because you're such a nice guy? There was a big failure in between. There, there was. And that's when I left uh, being at New Hope for over 20 years. And I went to another church, First Baptist Church of Atlanta, and my skill set did not mesh well. It's not that mm. there's a good guy and a bad guy in the story. It's just that it didn't work out. And so within that first year, I was gone from there. So you're somewhere for 20 years and you leave believing God has called you to something else. And, you, and you're, you're trusting him in that. And then it doesn't work out because mm. it's easy to remember the victories That's right. and the good things. That's right. But it's the lessons you, it's the lessons you learn, you know, in the failure. And one of the things that God really impressed on my heart was that if I would have been in Fayetteville, Georgia, at New Hope, because I love that. Church. Yes, you did. Oh, I love that. And they people. loved you. Oh man, yeah. it, it was it was twenty years of wedded bliss. It yeah. really was. And to leave there was the hardest thing I ever had a choice in. Yeah. Leaving that church, and then you go, and then the bottom falls out. And you see, nearly every leader has had the bottom fall out right. at some point in their life. And so I'm like, you know, why in the world did I miss you, God, on these things? And one day I was sitting and I was just praying and the Lord just clear as a bell, just runs this thought through my mind. So Ike, if I would have asked you to leave New Hope, to go start a church in Cobb County from scratch, would you have been willing to do it? And you can't lie to God. No, no, no but I would have found another staff member to send. I mean, we could have done this easier, you know, somehow, some way. And 
it, and then God gave me this image mm. in my mind, and it stayed with me ever since. And the image was an image of a, a potted plant, and that God had pulled me up from that pot, mm. which was New Hope, and he placed me into a different pot. And he placed me into North Star. Not that North Star was bigger than what I had experienced at New Hope, but what it was much more fraught with was not knowing how it was going to turn out. That's right. See, New Hope's been around now for 140 years. Yep. You know, there's been a lot of pre. No, I was not the founding pastor. <laughs> uh, you got you got a lot of mean friends, Mike, that I was speaking oh, to right great. now that listen to this podcast, but. Um, you're starting a church from scratch yeah. and you've had everything because we had everything at New Hope. First Atlanta, oh my goodness, yep. had everything. I had a fireplace in my office. Dude, that's pretty cool yep. right there. Yep. I mean, and, and you had the financial backing. You, you had a budget that time, I think it was like 12 or $14 million. <laughs> and and I mean, all kinds of things that, that are going on. And then you leave it and then you go and start a church from scratch. And you and Marlon Longacre are the two people that sat down with me. We sat at Mary Max Tea Room. Sure. We know how to eat right. Yes, we did. And y'all laid out for me that y'all were willing to make that jump and to come and to do this. And Marlon just celebrated his 22nd year That's in amazing, ministry. amazing, isn't it? And it really is. And the fact that y'all were willing to do that. Because I'd recommended you to every church in America to be a student pastor. Mm. And you would turn it down because you loved living in Cobb County. And you just, you loved it. And uh, and God has placed you here. He's given you an apostolic calling to this mm. community. Mm. Because you, you pastor in so many different ways. You don't just pastor the people that are in your church. I talk to the men that are in your Bible study. And so many of them are the movers and shakers in this county and what you do for them, because you're not worried if they are a member of North Star. Right. You're there to minister to this community. And we always said that North Star was a lot more than the four walls. That's right. And we always said, we're not going to go plant a church. We're going to go reach a community. That's right. Because that's what Steve Shogren challenged us with, was to, to go reach your community. And God is using you in all those ways to be able to do those things. And, and so God's just, you know, the, the whole thing of North Star was amazing because we saw miracles and all we the sure time. did. We never thought folding chairs would be a miracle, but yep, they were. They were. And computers. My, my buddy Larry Anders, who's going right. to be with the Lord, you know, manages to sell his computer company. We'd knelt and prayed for that day to happen. And he called me and said, what can I do for you at North Star? He was still living on the south side of Atlanta. What can I do for you? And I still remember coming into y'all and saying, what, y'all want to hire staff? Or what do you want? Y'all all said, we need laptops. I was still so new to that whole thing. I'm going, my laptop is a yellow legal That's pad right. and that big rollerball ink pen. Fax me that request and I will make sure we get some laptops. I used to have Donna fax me my email. Oh, my and Lord. And she'd go, one day you'll realize how really stupid this is. And I would go, we all, we're, we're not to that day yet. So oh, I love I've, it. I've gotten a little better oh, on those my things. Gosh. And, and then, um, you know, leaving and going to Piedmont, which was never my intention. Mm -mm. I thought, honestly, I thought I'd retire at North Star. And I thought we'd yep. be co-pastoring and, and that you would be 
doing all of that and that God would open the door for us to do conferences and yeah. things about the model that we did. Because the model that we did in 1997, virtually no one else was no. that I know no. of. No, no. And, uh, you know, later, the Church of Irresistible Influence and what they did, you know, out there in Little Rock mirrored that's right. exactly what we were doing. But I think they started the same Sunday that we started. Wow. And wow. so it's just one of those interesting times. But for that model, that's what I really thought yeah. that I would be doing. And um, to, to go and to try to help turn a church around, I've never, I never had that type of experience. So I didn't know if I could do it. And so all we did was we took the heart of uh, North Star. And you guys uh, certainly helped so much in those early days because y'all would go over and preach, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because I was only been there like one that's Sunday right. Right. a month and y'all were preaching. You preached, Mike yep. Slaughter preached, Marlon totally preached, that. Yep. you know, just a lot of those guys. Terry Nelson, I think, went over and preached. Mm-hmm. And so we had all those great preachers and communicators that went over. And I think that's what started turning the tide Mm. Uh, but I can I can remember being in that church and I was preaching and every once in a while God will just give me something so clear that I just have to stop and what I what I was looking at I was looking at congregation and I realized there's no young couples Mm. and finally there I saw one couple and I literally stopped the sermon and said if you're under the age of 40 and you are married, would you stand? One couple. Oh, my goodness. One couple. Ricky and Allison Elrod. And so as Ricky and Allison stood, I said, folks, we know that the future of our church is in um, children being here. And unless Ricky and Allison are going to really get busy here, <laughs> and I mean, you know, we're in trouble because they're they're going to have to keep up the oh, whole so church. But uh, and he's now an elder. How about that? Pima. How about that? But it was that realization, it was having them stand up, that did a much better sermon sure than did. I could have ever preached. Because there it was in front of them. There are no young couples. Mm. So then when we started raising the money to go into the nursery and to do things, because, you know, adults have put up a lot of stuff for yep. themselves, but boy, they don't when it comes to their children. Yep. And I totally understand that. And so it was, you know, getting those kinds of things turned around. It was, you know, the metaphor or the story that I always use is um, that they had seven buckets that they would put out in the auditorium. And the seven buckets was to catch the water that was coming down through the roof. The roof's about 35, 40 feet high at Piedmont. And so the water would come down, and and some of the leaks were like over a pew. So they would have a bucket, like a painter's bucket, sitting on a pew. And they had these seven distinctive leaks. And then it would dry out, and then you would have the residual mildew smell that was in the building. And so I had asked about what what is the smell, and they explained to me. And so I put on my church consultant hat. And I, Have y'all ever thought about putting a new roof on the building? <laughs> and they went, uh, Yeah, we've thought about it, but we can't afford it. And because I'm standing here in a building that I'm I'm thinking at that time, and I was right. This has to be four and a half five million dollars. Oh yeah, you know? beautiful. Yeah, and 
and it had fallen into disrepair because the funds were not there. And you know what? There was never a bad guy in that story either, Mike. There was no malfeasance. Yeah. There was not anything. It's just lost the vision mm. for the church. And they even had a meeting to talk about who owned the vision. Well, that would tell me right then yeah. you yeah. got major issues. Um, you know, God tends to work through people. And he tends to give that leader that vision. And then that leader that gets that vision imparts that to their elders or whatever polity they have, uh, you know, for officers in the church and to your staff. And that that has to be born out of your heart. And you have to have a sense of urgency about it. The sense of urgency is the key to everything, especially if you're trying to implement change. So you have to have a sense of urgency, and then you have to create trust because the trust level is going to determine how fast you can change things. The lower the trust level, it's like slogging through the mud to get anything changed. You build a high trust level, and it changes everything. So one of the things that really helped me was for my first two years of serving as their pastor, I didn't take a salary at all. And I'd actually have people come up in the church and go, is it true that we don't pay you? And I would go, yes, and it's the first time I've ever been paid what I was really worth. <laughs> and that's exactly right. And and word got around. And the trust increased because it was, that's good. well, why else would he be here? Yeah. But that's because North Star was paying me, yeah. and that's because I was also working at Home Bank Mortgage Corporation yeah. as your chief people officer. I was in a position to come in and not drain them. I was in a position to come in and be able to give and to help them. Yep. And that's what God allowed me to be able to do. Well, that's and, so good. And that was just, you know, that was miraculous. And then New Hope, yep. you know, came through and gave us a huge financial gift. And, uh, and it was an ongoing gift. And we were able to take some of those dollars and we were able to do our first capital stewardship campaign. And in that capital stewardship campaign, part of it was to raise the money for the new roof. And we got the roof on before we actually did the campaign, thank goodness. And then it was to change up the auditorium and, uh, and and to make it something that would be attractional to people. Uh, rather than the other way, but we started in the nursery. That's right. That was that was the first place we started, and we're continuing. You know, uh, even as we speak, my favorite room there is called the Commons, and it's these brick walls, and I love it. I love the way it's set up, and I'm getting ready to lose the Commons, mm. and it's my favorite spot, especially if we got a group coming in. Yep. We'll take them to the Commons. I mean, it's cool, like True North. That's is right, for you yeah. guys. Yeah. Except much smaller. But that's my room. I just love that room. But we've got a children's program that's growing. Now, do I love that room more than I love seeing kids coming to Jesus? Nope. Yep. That brick's cool. Love that mortar oozing out. Yep. <laughs> love all the cool lights in there and everything. But winning kids and seeing kids mm. and creating space for them and students, that's more important than my liking the style of the building. So we're doing that right now, and we're getting ready to do a capital campaign with our good friends, Joe Single and Brian Dodd and Marty Benson. Yep. Um, I'm so excited because I believe this campaign is is going to see us reach more people for Jesus while we're on the quest 
uh, to be able to raise the money. And I, and I think it's going to be great. And you guys, you know, at North Star have inspired us uh, to attempt to be debt free mm. in our future. So part of this campaign wow. that we're doing is getting money to reduce debt. Wow. And we're trying to do the work that we're going to do without having to borrow money uh, other than on a very short-term basis because our goal now is to eradicate that debt. And again, we've talked about y'all from the pulpit numerous times because that's the vision that you want. Hey, if these guys can do it, then we can Absolutely. do it. And now here's what you're doing with the money. That's right. And say, that's that's, that's what blows us away. when we When we see that and we go... Now, that just inspires us because uh, mm. in its own unique way, even though Piedmont is a lot older than yeah, Northstar. But, but it's new. There's, there's an interesting there's a, relationship. Very, very much. And, 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 the, and because, like you said, the focus of the two churches is the same. It's not about who's here. It's about who's not here and how we serve our communities. And I, and I love... We don't even let our staff go over there. Their facilities are so gorgeous. We don't we don't allow our staff oh, to go right. visit. No, that's true. That is true. That yeah. facilities as much yours as oh, it is ours. Man. You know that. Well, you have led a country church that became a mega church. You have gone to First Atlanta, which is one of America's mega 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 churches. You have led at North Star out of infancy, brought us up. You have now at Piedmont, but you've also been to. Chief People Officer, Office of People and Culture at Home Bank. Right. You are the CEO of Must Ministries, which is one of the largest nonprofits in Atlanta. Just does such a great job. What are what are things in leadership that are similar between all of those different various yeah. places? What are the things when you when you sit in your chair at Must or when you sit in your chair at Piedmont or when you sit in your chair at North Star? All right, um, at New Hope, you, you didn't really have a chair at North Star. We didn't, we, we didn't have a whole lot back <laughs> we then. We couldn't afford that. You had a bucket. But, well, um, you didn't want to sit too long in our first <laughs> office because the rats would get you. You remember that. I mean, we I had did. rats the size yes. of small dogs. But we counted them. Yes, But we, we did yes. count them. They went in our numbers. Um, what are the things that were in common? What were some of the things that you go, these are just common areas of leadership no matter what? place I found myself. What would you say? Um, trust. Mm. I, I don't think there is a substitute for trust in a health, if you're going to be a healthy organization. Now you can be a dysfunctional organization and have distrust and, and dysfunctional organizations don't last very long. They usually unravel somewhere, but being able to create uh, trust in your organization, um, having Credibility with your people is huge. Creating a sense of camaraderie is is big. Um, you know, Mike Gallup says that if you have a best friend at work, you're eight times more likely to stay in your job. How about that? And when I speak to companies, you know, the, the big things that they're concerned about is, number one, how do we source great people? How do we get great people? Number two, how do we get them engaged in the company? And number three is, how do we retain them? That's the, the three steps. And to me, when you build camaraderie, mm-hmm. that's what helps you with that. 
And it's looking beyond the bottom line because in being the chief people officer at Home Bank, um, my stated goal that Pat Flood gave to me was he wanted us to create a company that was good enough to be on Fortune Magazine's list of the 100 best places to work in America. And that's a very exclusive list. It's your Four Seasons, it's Nordstrom's, it's Coca-Cola, um, Delta, Synovus, uh, Aflac. It's just companies that are just known for their culture. And for us to be able to make that list, these were a lot of the things we had to create. A sense of pride. Yep. Um, I want people to be proud that they work in our organization. And you get a sense of pride because you do things right. Mm. You know, I'm a firm believer that your values drive your mission, not vice versa. That if you would start with what are our core values and then build your mission and your vision statement, you know, from those things. And then make the make your core values actionable by not just using a static word like Integrity. Nearly every organization has integrity at the top of their list. But ask 20 different people what the word integrity means, you'll get 20 different answers probably. But if you say core value, integrity, dash, always do the right thing, then that clarifies it for people. Mm. It's it's showing them this is this is what you That's do. Good. And if you do the right thing, we're we're going to be fine. Um, so pride credibility, trustworthiness, all of those things work in every organization and that you just, you care about people. That's right. That you that you really do care about them. And that and if you will treat them like you would treat your family members, you'll have people that'll go to the wall for you. They'll 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 do absolutely everything they can. Uh, to be able to help you, uh, it's the it's the old Zig uh, maxim where he said, if you will help other people get what they want out of life, those same people are going to help you to get what you want out of life. And he said, but you never use that as a form of manipulation. You use it as the philosophy of the way that you do life. That's right. And so for me, my greatest joys are connecting people. My, you know, when you and, and now you're getting to a stage in ministry where you've seen a lot of the kids that yeah. you've raised that have grown up and they're in roles, and you get just as much exactly joy right. out of seeing them as you do yourself having something happen for you. There's just, I don't know, you feel like you had a part in someone's life, mm-hmm. and you and you and that they've looked to you, and you were maybe there for a season in their life, but boy, God used you in that season. It's just the best feeling in the world to think that we're all on this journey together. And, you know, if I have to select the guy in Scripture that I, the one I act the most like is Simon Peter because he's just a nut. And uh, whether it's jumping out of the boat and going, dude, did you even think about the wind and the waves? No, I was just in a hurry to get to Jesus. But the one I admire the most is Barnabas. Mm. You know, the son of encouragement. That's so good. Because, you know, you remember Dr. Harry Smith. Oh, yeah. uh, who was one of the wisest people I've, I've ever dealt with in my life. And he was on my staff. Uh, you know, he and Carl Moel, I hired them and I kept them on my staff the entire time that I pastored. And then when they passed away, we we continued to take care of their widows mm. because 
they invested so much in my life. But one time I was talking to Dr. Harry, and uh, he was assistant to the president of Mercer University in Macon for many years. And I asked him about preaching, and he said, Ike, if you will preach to hurting people, you will never lack for an audience. Never forgotten. Mm. There's going to be somebody hurting everybody. Somebody needs encouragement today. Somebody needs you to smile at them today. Somebody at that drive-through line—that's me right there—going <laughs> through that drive-through line that looks at the person that's about to take their money and go, "How are you doing today? Hmm. Anything I can pray for you?" And it's shocking. It's shocking to watch people. Uh, back a couple of years ago, I was driving from Macon up toward Atlanta, and my phone rings, and it's the wrong number. And this this lady starts talking, and I go, ma'am, I I think you've got the wrong number. Is this not so and so? I said, no, ma'am, my name is Ike Riker. And she goes, no, oh gosh, no, I wasn't trying to call you. I said, hey, for you, is there anything I can pray for you on? And the phone just gets quiet, and she starts crying. And she said, you have no idea. Mm. For the next thirty minutes, I'm talking to a complete stranger about what's going on in her That's life amazing. and about how to get through it. People are hurting. That's right. And when you're compassionate and caring and, and I'm not on your show to talk about politics, but I'm so discouraged with politics right yep. now. I'm discouraged with how uncivil yep. people are to each other. And the way that our country is going disturbs me greatly mm. because we need to be loving each other. That's right. We need to be encouraging each other. We need to celebrate days like Martin Luther King Day and think about the amazing change that, that he was able to bring into our society. And and we need those kind of heroes to look to. Are, are they perfect men or women that occupy those positions? Absolutely not, because they're cut from the same boat of cloth that every other human being is cut from. Yep. And... I don't look for perfection in those people. I look a lot of times to find what are the principles that I can learn from their life. But when there is that connection of their character manifesting those principles, there's a strength to that that's pretty amazing. That's so, good. so that's why I look for those heroes. I love it. Somebody looks back and on a podcast one day or an interview one day and they say, well, who's one of your heroes? And they say, Ike. What would you want them to say about you? If you look back on your life and, and you think about all the hundreds and thousands you've influenced, how do you want them to describe Ike Reichert? There was a guy that really loved me. And he really cared about me. And I had all these talents and I had all these abilities and this guy, Ike, just had this way of inspiring me because of what I already had inside of me. And all he did was he just made me realize how special I am. To think that God has that person's name written on the palm of his hand. Mm-hmm. To think that God knows every hair that's on that person's head. To think that God has a plan for their life, that creator of the universe, and that they're not here by themselves. And he made me feel like I had a friend that really loved me for just who I was. And he helped me to be my best by inspiring me and uh, 
by vocally encouraging me when I was discouraged. And he helped me to become the person that Jesus made me to be. And I'm glad that he crossed paths with me. That's what I'd want him to say. I hope you enjoyed that time with Ike. He is a special one, isn't he? You know, I always think of a word that corresponds with the guest that I had on. When Ike left my home, we did the interview live here a few months ago. When Ike left my home, I told Ann that afternoon, he's he's absolutely one of the most inspirational people I have ever met in my life. Ike has that ability to help you see more in yourself than you ever could by yourself. And that is a gift that God has given him. And whether it was at New Hope in Fayetteville or his short time at First Baptist Atlanta North or his time at North Star or his time at Piedmont or at Must Ministries or at Home Bank Mortgage Company or traveling somewhere across the United States where you heard him speak, Ike always leaves you better than he found you. And I tell church planners all the time, they they say, I want to meet with somebody that's a real dreamer. And I'll say, you need to talk to Ike Riker. Well, I mean, you know, Ike, he's been around for a while. And I said, yep. And he reads more and he knows more than all of us. You better sit down with Ike. And every one of them come back and say, probably one of the greatest things I've ever done was sit down with Ike Riker. Ike, you're a hero, buddy. Thanks for being you. Thanks for living you out so doggone well, because you certainly make all of us a little bit better because you are the best version of you that you can be. Buddy, proud to call you my boss, proud to call you my friend. Thanks so much. Well, in our next episode of Lynch with a Leader, we get to sit down with another great friend of mine. He's a gentleman you may know his voice. In fact, you hear it quite often across radios across the country. Uh, even on this podcast, he does our intro and outro. One of the most unique leaders I've ever met is Mr. Ernest Davis, and I can't wait for you to meet him. Thanks again for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll share it with a friend. I hope you'll post about it on iTunes or Twitter or Facebook. Just let people know that you listened in. If you leave a comment or review, boy, it helps us and it helps other people find their way to us. Know that I'm praying for you as a leader during this time. And boy, have you ever thought that we would get to stand out because of our faith more than we do now? Boy, go live out who God called you to be in the space and the place he put you. Until next time, go be the leader. God created you to be. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.